0: The special bond, relationship, and friendship between Christians and Jews. We're talking about that with David Necrutman today. Stay with us on Personally Speaking. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim and David McCroupman joins me now. David has served the calling of Jewish-Christian relations for over 20 years and is the executive director of the Isaiah Projects. The Isaiah Projects is a ministry dedicated to creating resources that empower Christians to discover the Hebraic roots of their faith. David has a master's in social work from the University of Pennsylvania and a master's in biblical literature from Oral Roberts University. His Oral Roberts degree established David as one of the very few Orthodox Jewish persons to graduate from a Christian university's theology program. David's op-ed articles have appeared in the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, and Charisma magazine. David received special recognition from Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs Department of World Religions for his two decades of service, as a goodwill ambassador for Jewish-Christian relations. He was recently selected for the Chosen's Jewish Advisory Board, counseling the dramatic series staff for Season 4 and perhaps beyond. David lives in Israel with his wife and their three sons. He's here with us today to talk about the Isaiah Projects, Jewish-Christian relations, and the faith and values that sustain him. David, thanks so much for coming on, Personally Speaking. David, before we get into many wonderful things that you're doing, like the Isaiah Projects and other things, I wanted to ask you, I'm always intrigued, when someone loves God and loves humanity, as you clearly do, I often wonder about the family that formed you. So let's go back to family of origin. Tell me about the people you come from, the parents who raised you, and what they did right. Uh, So for the first eight years of my life as a fourth-generation New Yorker,
1: okay <laughs> um i was a uh, a secular jew went to synagogue once a year during the high holidays and uh in 1979 my father's colleague at work i uh, heard my father complaining that i was getting beaten up in first grade and figured this was a an opportunity to help my father become more observant in his judaism
0: mm-hmm.
1: so he came up with this brilliant plan take me off from public school and put me into the most ultra-religious Jewish parochial school possible. And so in 1980, I went from Crispy Bacon and Knight Rider and Dukes of Hazzard on Friday night to all of a sudden uh, becoming an an observant Orthodox Jewish household. And it took about two years. So the person who did that accomplished his mission to make my family more religious. And uh, at that age, I became sort of the rabbi of the family because my parents were not well-versed in the aspects of the laws of Judaism. So everything I learned from my school, I brought into the household Uh, that basically made me uh, um, the beginnings of a leader. Uh, So that's, that's my background in New York. And I I live next to the most Italian neighborhood possible called Bensonhurst.
0: Right. Sure. (laughs) Uh, So
1: all I knew of Christianity was through the Catholic church Mm -hmm. I didn't know there was like 40,000 different movements in Christianity, but we won't talk about that because I want to respect my seniors and the Catholic church (laughs) right now.
0: Well, we we love Christian uh, brothers and Jewish brothers and Arab brothers, but let let me ask you this. When you made that transition, did you make that willingly?
1: Well, no, at eight years old, you're, you're going along with what your parents want. Okay. Really (laughs) at the end of the day. And, um, uh, I would say someone who was our common friend, uh, Rabbi Dr. Gerald Meister of Blessed Memory. He was the, really the one, and in, in during my college years, that mentored me not only in Jewish-Christian relations, my own walk with God in, in actualizing the, that expression of faith through Orthodox Judaism. And then when I'm—it's when I'm, uh, about 23 years uh, in building bridges between Jews and Christians— uh, I, I eventually found how I I walk between the lines in order to still have the integrity of Judaism, but also incorporate the idea that uh, Jews and Christians believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have a common scripture that is the divine word of God. We want to actualize bringing the kingdom of heaven down to earth, and we're all waiting for the messianic moment together. And indeed, there are differences between Judaism and Christianity, but what? Is in common far away is what divides us uh and therefore i i can't be who i am as a jew stewarding the land of israel without you monsignor thank you there's a covenantal bond between us and although there was a bad history between judaism and christianity right now what i've experienced in my own lifetime i was born after nostratate mm-hmm. and so the development of what has happened specifically between Jews and Catholics has been unbelievable, and the theological turnaround of the Catholic Church towards the Jews, as one-time uh, enemies, has become that the Catholic Church is saying, "I'm Joseph, your your brother." And that's been a, a monumental transformation theologically. There's always going to be things that we need to talk about, but. All in all, if a Jewish community is next to a Catholic community, chances are the relationships that have been developed locally have been incredible. Mm -hmm. And uh, although there will be statements that we always have to take in consideration, the sensitivities between Jews and Catholics for well over a half a century that began with Pope John the 23rd Mm -hmm. uh, and Rabbi Heschel have really reaped the fruits of what we're what I'm doing here with you today. I don't think I could be on the Zoom call without the divine agents over yeah. 55, 56 years ago. Yeah.
0: So much, David Necrutman is our guest. So much of uh, the bondedness between us does trace back to the uh, legacy and the papacy of John Paul II. What was your experience of him, David?
1: I, uh, again, oh, I was at the Israeli consulate when... Uh, in New York, when uh, I, I I guess you could say that there was a divine interruption in my life, <laughs> then I entered into the portfolio of building up relationships with Christians.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And a, also a good friend of ours, uh, Monsignor Guy Massey. Yes. Uh, is a good friend. If you want to talk to somebody about who helped me within the Catholic Church, Monsignor Guy Massey was also a mentor of mine, besides Rabbi Dr. Gerald Meister. But it's good to have a Catholic right. to help you go <laughs> yeah. along uh, and learn everything. Uh, so f- for me, uh, just to see the how Pope John II specifically had this admiration and respect for Judaism, I mean, without him going into the synagogue and making his monumental visit, representing the Catholic Church, visiting the state of Israel, literally, it was the second most secure event in the history of Israel. The only one that as far as security and respect was concerned, before the Pope came to Israel was former President Anand Sadat, who wanted to make peace with Israel in the late 1970s, and he, his monumental visit to the Knesset. But everybody, even though I know the Pope was trying to keep his prayer secret when he inserted into the Western Wall, nothing is a secret when it comes to Israel, and, and that what his prayer meant to everybody in Israel and the Jewish people worldwide.
0: He was remarkable, and of course, for our listeners and watchers, uh, his experience of having lived through the Holocaust and seeing the uh, destruction of the Jewish people of Poland in particular was uh, certainly an eye-opener and a conscience-opener for him. David, out of this work that you've been doing comes the Isaiah Projects. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the background, and what's the hope of achievement there?
1: So the Isaiah Projects was born of a third chapter of another divine interruption in my life. So the first chapter was... The Israeli Council in New York, where I was given the Christian portfolio, was very ignorant about Christianity This about 23 years ago, and started to learn theology one-on-one in coffee and diners with my mentor. And obviously that includes my senior guys, Massey, as well. And understanding the complexities and the sensitivities, followed by making Aliyah, making my move with my family. I wanted to be a chapter heading in sacred Jewish history as opposed to a footnote. And if you live as a Jew... Outside of Israel, you're a footnote in Jewish history. (laughs) I want to be a chapter heading. I want to be equal with the sanitation worker that we are fulfilling the ever-fulfillment ever of biblical prophecies mentioned in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Zechariah, that the ingathering of the Jewish people from the four corners of the world is happening every single day. I am no different than the sanitation person. The only difference I have is my calling specifically. Is the reconciliation between jews and christians now when i came i didn't think i was going to go back into jewish christian relations but god has a funny sense of humor and rabbi Shlomo riskin who is he was the chief rabbi of efrat which is parallel to bethlehem found out about my experience and we opened up the first orthodox jewish center called the Ortar or stone center for jewish christian understanding and cooperation i served in the executive director position for 14 years I stepped down from that because uh, Christian grandmothers were asking me to help them out with their grandchildren uh, because of the progressive um, uh, values being introduced into the public school system, unfortunately, and some of the ideologies that are are against our common Judeo-Christian values. Mm -hmm. They said, because you are teaching to laity uh, the Hebraic roots of the Christian faith, would you be willing to help us in the homeschool area? Uh, so the Isaiah Projects primarily is focused on creating Hebraic resources for Christians to discover the roots of their faith with a specific calling to homeschool Christian education. Now, mind you, I didn't go to a, a Catholic seminary, but I did go to an evangelical right. uh, theological school called Oral Roberts University. I got my mm-hmm. master's in biblical literature. Uh, I'm also the advisor to, to the Chosen TV series. So... Apparently, my experience in the halls of Christianity uh, is adding to the Hebraic roots of the Christian faith. And uh, so right now we have something called biblical excavations, and we launched our first curriculum uh, on the Sabbath, because in the last, I should say, second to the last verse in Isaiah, it says, from new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all worship me, says the eternal. And uh, how do we get to that prophecy? Now, in that same chapter, it says, can a nation be born in a day? So I, I, I'm I, part of that nation that was born in a day. And at the end of this chapter, there's supposed to be this Messianic Sabbath. And therefore, I think Sabbath, as well intentioned as it was to acknowledge God, the creator and God, the redeemer of what he did to the Jewish people and taking them out from Egypt into the promised land. There is an ultimate redemptive Sabbath that Isaiah envisions. And therefore, we want to talk about that Sabbath. But first, you have to excavate revelational nuggets of what took place before Sinai and what are we looking for in a Sabbath that means that you're at my table, Monsignor, and that we're celebrating together. I'm not asking Christians to eat kefilta fish uh, on the Sabbath, I'm not asking Christians to not turn on a light on the Sabbath, but there is something about acknowledging the redemptive Sabbath uh, messianic period that we in whatever your eschatology may be but at the end the here and now means that sabbath is about contemplating on the kingdom of god and what are we planning to do together as jews and christians for the week coming that we can say we're moving kingdom a little forward so that that, that the curriculum is based upon sabbath working on an elementary school uh to call the children of abraham for a curriculum like that So it's just developing Hebraic resources. And all of a sudden, October 7th came and I had to stop what I was doing in Israel. And and for two months, every single day, taking something that's small, impacting that immediate need, saying thank you, and then moving on to the next thing. So, Monsignor, we're we're both originally, we're from New York. And, you know, eventually I became a guy who knows a guy, who's able to get something from a guy in order to go ahead and help our first responders, to help out um, uh, families. We saved families uh, from the border of Gaza. We raised money to put them in hotels. Uh, These are people that would not get a government subsidy. So it's been very interesting for the last two months, of dancing around missiles, uh, meeting uh, families who have their loved ones still in Gaza as hostages. Uh, But the work I was doing could have not been done without the network of true friends of israel who are christian and this is and, and we actually worked with christians in israel together we were the only organization to do co-sponsorships and co-partnerships to help on the ground uh my hope is that i can get back to the curriculum because we want to work on the parables of jesus in it's a hebraic context i always say that uh you know having if G, uh, Christians believe that Jesus is 100% 100% divine 100% human uh his humanity took place in a Jewish household and that means he learned the Jewish way he taught the Jewish way and if that can be discovered and recovered within Christianity in its understanding of its own scriptures it adds a high definition to a Christian's walk with God i know this is weird for the orthodox Jew to talk about this but I want Christians to be Christ-centered. I want them. If they are, that means the Judaism of Jesus is, is equally important in a Christian walks life with God. And therefore, uh, truly, you will be the in what we would call Joseph mm-hmm. in the context of working with the Federation of the Tribes of Israel that have been gathered from all over the world. So I want Christians to be Christ-centered. And I think it's important that Jews understand that. that we shouldn't ask of our Christian uh, Christians, brothers, and sisters to compromise Jesus in any way. I, I want you to be who you are. Uh, there, for the one God, there is respect and integrity in the diversity of an expression and faith in him.
0: David, I want to ask you, because you brought up uh, the horrors of October. Um, at the heart of our understanding of Christ always comes back to his incredible willingness, even unto death, to forgive those who persecuted or killed him. Um, it's, it's heart and parcel of our faith to believe that you have to be a forgiver. Um, October 7th, and even more importantly before that the Holocaust, as a, an Orthodox Jewish man, how easily or how difficult is it for you to embrace that concept that, that God is a merciful God and that we are called on to be instruments of mercy when, uh, we seem to be standing occasionally against invincible evil.
1: So, as we know, we know the end of the story. Yeah, I think that's important. We start from the end, and we know what's going to happen. And God's name will be one upon the earth, mm. and all will worship before Him. So that gives us something uh, incredible in our faith walk with God of hope. We have then. We also have to take the practicality of every day. Not everyone is acknowledging the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Hamas is one of them. Not only that, they are taking away the image of God from others, and therefore they're creating evil in the world. They are a terrorist organization. They are abusing using their own people, uh, let alone doing the murderous, horrendous acts that happened on October 7th. I have friends who have been affected, obviously, through this, made friends through the last two months and hearing the stories. So when you are hearing about this, first and foremost, uh, the government has to make sure that Hamas is not around anymore, as much as that we take the day by day. And unfortunately, there are innocent people in Gaza that are affected by the actions of the Israel Defense Forces. But at the end of the day, please don't blame us. Blame the people who are governing you, who put you into this situation. Don't blame the victim.
0: Blame the people who are the perpetrators. David, you talked about education, how important it is. One of the things I noticed through all the coverage of October 7th was the uh, presumption that we understand things about each other that we don't necessarily, I, whenever I read an article about the church, I always find at least one or two things that the reporter didn't get about what we believe, where we're coming from. In the same way, um, the presumption was automatically that everyone knew what a kibbutz was. And most people, I think, in fact, don't have a clear understanding. Can you give us a, a small definition of what is a kibbutz or these attacks that were on kibbutzes? What? What was going on in those kibbutz before the attack? So a, a, very short a kibbutz is an agreed upon community
1: that they're sharing in all the resources and the, and the benefits of those resources in a kibbutz. OK. Um, and, and again, you can do that for small communities. It's not very conducive for statehood. Uh, so I want to make that very clear. It's, it's good if you have a community willing to share in those resources for a small amount of people mm-hmm. but in governance of a greater society you can't use what would be a socialist model
0: mm-hmm.
1: for for running and governing a country you do need uh, what we would say the best form of government in a capitalist society allowing people to go ahead and see that beyond socialism because we, we that's a different talk but that's basically what a kibbutz is so these communities that had over either 1,200 people or less, were, and very much pro-Palestinian in the sense, looking for a two-state solution. Mm. These people were fighting for the rights of the people living on the other side of the border. Uh, and, and in fact, the hospital, um, Barzilai Medical Center, which I helped during the war, still helping, uh, they're the ones who treat Gazans if they do need emergency care. Uh, In fact, Sinwar, who was the architect of October 7th, was treated in Israel. Uh Uh, He was one of the prisoners that was released for Gilad Shalit, for a soldier, uh, and he spoke fluent Hebrew. And instead of learning, I don't know, instead of really following God at the end of the day, decided to uh, follow the devil and Satan and and become the architect of the worst episode since since the Holocaust on one day of the amount of Jews murdered and brutally murdered. Um, so when you have, so that's the community, these are the communities living on the Gaza border. These are communities. Some of them predate statehood at, or some at the beginnings of statehood. Uh, and tragically, uh, everyone is in, in, uh, some type of traumatic, uh, season right now and need tremendous care and intervention and particularly customized intervention therapy sessions.
0: I want to ask our listeners and our viewers to go online and and look up the good work that David has been doing for a long time, especially the Isaiah projects. But uh, my final question, David, is that um, Peggy Noonan talks about this beautifully in the Wall Street Journal, but um, are you at all shocked or bothered or troubled? I imagine you are. I am. Uh, by the the rage of anti-Semitism that has shocked a lot of us in this country by the demonstrations, um, we would have thought that if there was a community that was safe and respected, it would be the Jewish community in our country. It's not. And there are people who uh, clearly still harbor hatred in their hearts. Uh, seeing that, as you do, as I do, um, the greatest illness in the world, I think, is not physical. It's discouragement, you know, that we give up hope. You are obviously a man filled with hope, but I wonder, do you get discouraged by the fact that here we are in 2023 where people still demonstrate in the streets of major cities in a way that is, there's no way to describe it except anti-Semitic. Where do you find hope? How do you avoid discouragement when you see some of what's going on in our culture?
1: So I I look at it, again, I go back to the Bible. Mm The Bible has already written something like I like this style, and it's called the Book of Esther, which takes place outside of Israel between first and second temple period. We have someone who harbors such anti-Semitism towards Mordecai, he's willing to kill the entire nation of Israel in one day, gets permission from the king to do that. And because of God, uh, intervenes in sacred history through the agents of human beings, including Jews and non-Jews. If you look at the end of chapter eight, you see all of a sudden non-Jews accepting the remarkable God of Isaac into their lives and willing to stand uh, toe-to-toe with the Jewish people in fighting a war. It was a military victory at the end of the day, but it wasn't a Jewish VIP club. It happened with (laughs) non-Jews. And therefore Esther marks a holiday on the Jewish calendar uh, that goes beyond leviticus chapter 23 about listing all the holidays of rosh hashanah the day of atonement the feast of tabernacles she pres- creates the precedent of a holiday on the jewish calendar but it's all because of anti-semitism there's a book on antisemitism it's called esther and what's quite fascinating is that esther was never supposed to be in the canon of christian scriptures if you want to call a holy spirit moment that's it that esther ends up into the canon of scriptures. And in fact, many people, when they're supporting Israel, quote, Esther 414 is a time such as this as part of their foundational faith expression of support with the Jewish people. So for me, there's a book on this. So right now we're living in a Haman-like season where the veil has been taken off of subconscious anti-Semitism to outright calling for the death of the Jews. Am I shocked? Yes, I'm shocked in the sense that we went from from being pro-Palestinian to being pro-Hamas. I think that for Jews worldwide was the shock of the moment. Like how did we get to, that's okay to call the death of the Jews in a public square. The only other time we had that was in the Holocaust. And I thought somehow that got, yeah. you know, somehow removed from society because of what look what happened afterwards what starts with the jews doesn't end with the jews mm-hmm. i'll make that very clear so what you're seeing right now is more than anti-semitism you're seeing being anti-god and it's just the way it's expressed to be an anti-god is in the form of anti-semitism because at the end what uh, people are not are saying that we don't deserve this land. Well, the only reason why we have this land, from my personal opinion, is a covenantal bond with the Jewish people. What God said, he meant, it's eternally there. Whether despite we're worthy or not, it's a covenant. That's the concept of covenant, not a contract. God said that, that yes, if we don't fulfill our our covenantal bond, the land throws us out. And we were taught that lesson twice. That was the first temple and the second temple. Right now, we have this amazing opportunity to be a steward of the land. Covenant land comes with covenant responsibility, but people have a problem with covenant and with what God says about the Jewish people. So, what you're seeing right now is an anti-God moment and secular, demonic uh, things that are happening right now. In the view of all this, is all is all is all anti-God. At the end, from my perspective. It's actualized and expressed through anti-Semitism. So I would say for the church, please be aware because these secular
0: this type of this type of paradigm of thinking will eventually affect the church. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. David, I want to thank you for being with us. David Nakrugman is a great guy who's been doing wonderful work for years. Uh, but I, I wanted the folks not only to hear him on Sirius XM, the Catholic Channel, but also to see him on YouTube. Because you'd have to be moved by his incredible energy and enthusiasm, not only for his belief system, but for taking belief and putting it into practice. Uh, I was One of the many, many things that Isaiah Project has uh, accomplished is that uh, David and those he works with have been feeding sometimes the Arab Christians of Bethlehem, uh, because he is truly a, a bridge between Christians and Jews, but also a willingness to serve all mankind in the name of God. And Uh, dave when i see your energy your enthusiasm your dynamism on this particular work it gives me great great hope and i I hope you continue to have that zeal because our world needs it you are truly a bridge for hope and uh, away from discouragement and truly i think an instrument of god And i thank you so much i thank uh, my good friend gary krupp and the pave the way foundation for first introducing us and uh, david much much success with the good work you're doing the work of god the work of humanity and uh, we truly appreciate all you do. Well, you made my morning, Monsignor. I get a blessing from Monsignor this morning. So thank you. <laughs> and when you're next talking to Guy Massey, give him my love. I went to seminary with him. He was a great man then. It's wonderful to hear that Monsignor Massey continues to do wonderful work. I'm glad he's a friend of yours, David. God bless David and recruitment and all the work that you do. I want to thank you for being with us on Personally Speaking. If you need to reach me for any reason, you can write me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. You probably listen to this program on the Catholic Channel, Channel 129. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Janovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.